Welcome to a place of wellness and healing for both your body and mind. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, energized life that totally rocks. You're listening to Straight Talking Natural Health, a no BS podcast for busy women who want to ditch the fatigue, find balance and feel great with your host and naturopath, Jules Galloway. Today's guest is an absolute powerhouse of a woman whose CV kind of reads like a choose-your-own-adventure novel. On one hand, she's a driven business person who owns two nightclubs and has been known to listen to gangster rap. Well, this is what they tell me. On the other hand, she exudes this beautiful, calm radiance, is a devoted yogi and has been described as spiritual AF. She's moved all the way across the world to create a life in Byron Bay, She has a beautiful heart-centered business that's all about getting people to meditate regularly. She makes meditation accessible, enjoyable, and dare I say it, a little bit fashionable. Uh Uh, Just ask her about her super cute line of clothing. Most of all, she's now a published author, so we will be picking her brain today about her book, Heavily Meditated. Please welcome to the show the amazing legend and I think possibly the queen of the dad jokes, Caitlin Katie. Woo! <laughs> That's like the best intro ever. I love it. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. You may put me in my in your pocket and you can take me places when you need anyone to introduce you. I love it. I'm just going to call you every, every once in a while and be like, can you just remind me of my goodness by reading that intro? <laughs> no worries at all happy to assist (laughs) so good all right lovely human tell me what what was the path that led you to exploring all of this meditation stuff because you you took a long and windy road through life to get there huh I did indeed um you know the long long story short is that meditation really saved me from a life sentence of chronic illness and also the misery of perfectionism. So I dish on the full story in my book, Heavily Meditated, but the gist of it is that I was a perfectionistic overachiever and I struggled with illnesses like Lyme disease. And through meditation, I learned how to really slow down and be, which allowed my nervous system and in turn, my immune system to reset. So I went from burned out, sick and fearful to, you know, feeling happy, healthy, and like I'm living to my full potential. So really meditation changed my life and um, helping others discover the healing and transformation that's available to us through meditation is, you know, something that I'm just so passionate about, partly because I found it very hard to start getting sit done as, you know, as someone who is a perfectionist, as someone who was a total overachiever, there was a lot of resistance um, for me in, in learning to just sit down and quote, do nothing for 15 or 20 minutes a day. So <laughs> I'm on a mission to help other people, you know, discover meditation, make it easy for people to get on board with it and, you know, not be bored to tears in the process. Yeah, Lyme disease is no, it, it's, yeah, that's, that's no trivial thing, is it? It's a really, really serious illness. Um, how old were you when you got that? I was t- just shy of 21. Um, and a few years before that, I'd had mononucleosis, which uh, you guys call glandular fever in, this, in these parts. But um, I'd had that and I'd also had dengue fever. 
So my immune system was super trashed and, um, and it was a really like, you know, an interesting age to have these kind of debilitating illnesses um, unfold because it's a time where I think a lot of us are kind of trashing our bodies. Um, you know, like we're able to, to, we kind of feel invincible at that age where I kind of got a taste of like the reality of being middle-aged like when mm. I was 21, you know, like mm. three day hangovers and um, just, you know, my body couldn't tolerate like any kind of abuse, which yeah. really was a blessing in disguise because I, I cleaned up my act um, and really ca- found that I really had to commit to, to being well and to showing up every day with an attitude of, um, you know, taking full responsibility for how I wanted to feel each day because it wasn't just, I couldn't take my health for granted anymore. So how did you discover that meditation was going to be like one of the, the parts of, of the solution? Like did someone just take you aside and go, hey, listen, like you're a bit type A and you're really <laughs> sick, so how about you try this thing? Or did you read about it somewhere? Or like how did it sort of come to the forefront of, of your Kind of consciousness well i mean repeatedly people intervened <laughs> and said you know meditation and yoga would be really good for you and you know i was like yeah thanks for that um it's really not for me <laughs> i'm not that kind of person um i mean i was you know i was aware of yoga from a really young age and i was down with that because i'd lived in india when i was you know 17 and um had studied yoga there and then also i danced quite intensely as a as a young girl and we did there was a little bit of yoga woven into sort of the the training that we did so i had an awareness of yoga and would dabble in it um but meditation was just it just seemed you know so far from who i was or who i identified as um and so really it was like by the time i sat down and gave it a good try it was as a last resort honestly you know i felt that i'd tried everything else. You know, I'd done Chinese medicine, I'd done homeopathy, naturopathy, vitamin injections, IVs, vitamin C flushes, like going to bed with socks, hot, you know, like wet socks to try and stimulate like a fever. Like I've tried, I tried it all. And, um, despite all of that, you know, there was something missing. And I think for me, it was the last piece of the puzzle was really not to do with my physical body in a direct sense. It was to do with making a mental shift, which then had an impact on my physical body. So, you know, really up until that point, I derived my sense of self-worth and happiness through what I could control and what I could achieve. And so um, I convinced myself that being in that sort of stressed out state of overdrive was really fundamental to not only like my survival as a human, but also just being a contributing valuable member of society. So, um, the, but the truth was, you know, my immune system couldn't reset itself when, you know, adrenal fatigue and off the charts cortisol levels were sort of my, my norm. Um, so I knew at that time intuitively that I just, I had to learn how to slow down and just be, and, you know, through a lot of trial and error, I figured out that meditation was that piece of the puzzle for me. Yeah, it's it's like the biggest challenge for anyone who's like a doing driven 
type A type person is that that slowing down is like the, the it has the most resistance around it. It's the biggest challenge of all. Um, talk to me about some of the hiccups that happened when you started trying to sit still and do this nothing thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, I mean, how did it go? <laughs> oh, wasn't great. Um, you know, I mean, I think like most people, I'd sit down and and go like, I'm just not cut out for this, or you know, I'd be cycling through my to do list and what I was going to have for dinner and grocery shopping and blah blah blah. And I think that really, you know, um, I had a misconception about what meditation was, and there's so many myths around it. You know, that you need a calm mind that you need to stop thinking, um, which really like a, a busy mind is sort of, it's a prerequisite for meditation. If we didn't have a busy mind, we wouldn't need to meditate. So rather than thinking of it as a, as sort of like something that, that puts you at a disadvantage in meditation, I think we all need to kind of start thinking of it as, um, as just like the equipment that we show up with and, and sort of, you know, this idea that bringing our attention back to a focal point is the whole point of meditation. You know, I love the quote from Sally Kempton. She's an amazing meditation teacher and she calls it a meditation sit up. And so when you can reframe that alone, like if somebody had told me that, if I had known about Sally Kempton's quote at that time, when I was Mm -hmm. just setting out on my journey, I'd, I really would have been empowered by that because instead I was like, oh, I'm doing this wrong or there's something mm-hmm. wrong with me or I'm not cut out for this. So I think that was, that was a big piece of it. Um, and then also just like you said, the resistance and um, the resistance shows up as, you know, this is a waste of time because I'm used to like earning my worth and hustling up a sense of, of self-worth through achievement. Um, and also, honestly, I had this really hilarious fear that it's hilarious to me now, but I had this fear that meditation was going to like strip me of my magic and that, you know, being a quote, like a hustler and that type A was really like a badge of honor. And that if I lost that, that, you know, I would end up as like a good for nothing living in a cardboard box with (laughs) 30 cats, you know? (laughs) But like, I think if you actually ask like people who are, who identify as perfectionists, like mm-hmm. what's underneath that, it's a fear of failure. Absolutely. And, and wanting to be accepted. A hundred percent. Yeah. Wanting to be pleased, feeling like you need to earn your worth. And um, so for me, that was, that was a really a critical thing to sort of recognize. Um, and then beyond that, you know, I think sort of the advantage that I had going in maybe the only advantage I had going into meditation was that I had a really clear personal reason why, um, which was that I didn't want to be sick for the rest of my life. And I didn't realize at the time what a linchpin that is to a lasting practice, but I've taken what I learned um, through that experience and sort of reverse engineered it uh, for people because I think that that's a critical step that so many of us are forgetting when we set out to develop a meditation practice for ourselves is that we just go, Oh, like Jules told me it would be good for me rather than really let me spend some time and sit with how this could serve me and how this could benefit me. And what is, what is out of alignment in my life and what's moving me away from what matters most to me. And when we can spend a little bit of time 
getting super clear on our own reason why from, from, from meditating, I think um, it becomes almost effortless to show up because you're showing up to essentially spend time with your best self with, you know, investing in your future and your future happiness and in a sense of living to your full potential. So those are, that's, those are sort of the things that, um, you know, really became clear to me in, in my early days of meditating. Yeah. It's really interesting that like you, you had to be sick before you discovered the value in this. And I think that happens to so many people. And I know it certainly happens to a lot of my clients who've got burnout and exhaustion or chronic illnesses, et cetera. Like that's when they go, all right, I'll do this meditation thing. Cause it's a bit of a last resort. Uh, and I know there's there's so many people doing amazing work, you know, like biohackers who are doing like heaps of really cool stuff at the moment. And yes, some of them do talk about meditation, but I still find that that culture out there in terms of sort of like peak performance and showing up as their best selves, et cetera, like it's all around which supplements to take and which medicinal mushroom and what dose and how many minutes in the ice bath and rah, rah, rah rather than some of these really, really simple things that I think do elevate your performance and, and the way you show up in the world, but it's almost too simple. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think you're onto something there. Um, or maybe it doesn't feel like a box to tick. It feels like an empty box um, rather than a box that you can fill because it's actually you're carving out space in your day to create space rather than fill space. And I think we're really good at consuming, um, consuming information, consuming supplements, consuming food. Like we're very focused mm. on, on that. Um, and so, you know, what I think meditation in some way is asking us to do is to empty ourselves um, and to be with stillness and to be, to reconnect with a sense of spaciousness, but that's uncomfortable. It's much more appealing to like fill our ears with, um, a podcast or, um, you know, like I, I think that I, I noticed that even with myself where I purposely like listen to nothing in my car from time to time now you know, when I'm not listening to like gangster rap, but, like, <laughs> <laughs> but, like I, I like drop the kids off and then I like put on Biggie Smalls, um, <laughs> and lean back a little bit further in my chair. But I, honestly, like when I'm in my car now, I make a conscious effort sometimes to just put nothing on, like not a podcast, not music. Don't call anyone. Just be with the silence because I notice this impulse that I have to consume constantly and to fill constantly. And I think it's because you know, we do, we, I mean, there's so many reasons, such a juicy topic, but, um, we're filling, we're filling ourselves up to create a sense of wholeness, um, which, which is the irony there is that we are already whole. And really that's the invitation of meditation is to reconnect with your inherent wholeness that you don't need anything to fill you up because you're already full and whole. So it's, you know, while I totally see the value in like bio, I mean, I'm down with them, like yeah, you know, going I, to the infrared I, sauna twice a week yeah, and taking I my do ice baths. It's cool. Yeah, 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 totally. Totally. <laughs> like I'm into it. Yeah. But I also think that meditation has a really, really valuable place um, in our, in our, you know, wellness practices. 
Yeah, look, but my close friend Haley Carr, um, she's a she's a coach, and she has this thing that she says where she goes, "It's disappointingly simple." <laughs> and and I think that's the thing about about meditation is yeah you don't need to buy it you don't need to you know it's it's disappointingly simple you just mm-hmm. show up and and there you are yeah and it's like oh okay and it's subtle you know it's subtle where like an ice, there's nothing subtle about an ice bath no um, we're not good with subtle though at no the I know as a I culture know. we're a bit shit with subtle to be honest we are <laughs> we really are and yet I I mean I'm I think that what's so interesting is uh, so even in meditation you know there's techniques in meditation where we move from the gross to the subtle very intentionally right so we might start by listening to the sounds in the room and then we might move into, you know, the sounds that of our, of our breath or the sensation on our skin. And then we move inward and notice how the breath feels inside of our body or the nature of our thoughts or whatever, so that we're, we're slowly narrowing our gaze and turning ourselves inward. And we are literally moving from the gross to the subtle. And it is, it is, it, it, it you have to develop a sensitivity to it. Um, especially in the world that we live in where we're kind of bombarded with, you know, taste sensations and sound sensations and like things that conjure these really bold uh, sort of feelings within us. So, um, you know, it's, I mean, it's even when you think about like Ayurvedic food or things like that, you know, like just cut out the onions and garlic and you're like, man, but that's the tasty stuff. Like that's the most delicious thing. And it's like, well, Yes, but when you're not con- constantly, again, kind of like bombarding your senses, what's there waiting for you um, may not like knock your socks off in the moment, but boy, it is a, it's a whole other kind of bliss in my experience anyway. Um, so there is, I think there is a lot to be said for the subtle. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's like in a, it's like an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, it is. So what, what style of meditation, like where where did you start? What have you gone through? What have you tried? What, what types of meditation have you tasted? Like you you must've, you must've been through a few different types and, and styles and practices before settling on the thing that is best for you. Uh, Yeah. 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 I, I started the first kind of style of meditation that I could connect with was Vipassana. Um, So you went from zero to hero then. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No biggie. Yeah. Well, um, I think that, I think that, you know, for me reconnecting with, with the, like this sort of simple, the simple, the sensations, the what's here and now that was a helpful place to start. And over time I became more interested in, I guess what I would sort of call like esoteric or alchemical kind of techniques. Um, And so like the Himalayan traditions and Tantra, not the like, you know, sex 
thing of tantra, which I always I know. Say. People say tantra and they only think one, think know, one thing, but there's I so know. much more than that. Oh, it's, it's just, it has a PR problem. Like meditation in general has a PR problem, but tantra particularly has a PR problem. <laughs> um, and so the thing, here's the thing that I love about tantra. So, so many of the um, styles of meditation, which you can find in the world today are monastic traditions. So they were, you know, designed for people who are like meditating in caves or in, in ashrams or in, you know, monasteries. And um, while they are beautiful, you know, they may not be the best meditation for a working mom of three. And what I love about Tantra is that it is literally, it was designed for, you know, quote, householders. I just, I love that term, but, you know, people who lived in the world and had families and had jobs. And so the practices are designed for people like us. Um, so I love that. And then also, um, you know, I really love the alchemical aspect of it in terms of being able to harness the forces within us and the forces around us until you know this idea of not only living in harmony with our environment and with our own innate nature but also the ability to sort of transform emotions experiences you know feelings within ourselves and i think that's incredibly empowering and you know it's ma- it is actually kind of magic um but it's a science you know it's not this kind of like new age um you know, sort of vague, like crystal healing type thing. It's actually these, you know, these techniques that have been passed down from sages and saints for, you know, thousands of years. And um, for me, it just really resonates. And I think that being said, I actually don't talk about my personal practice a whole lot because I don't think that what, that my practice is the right practice for everyone. And I think that that's another kind of downside of the way that most people are introduced to meditation is someone saying, this is the only way to do it. And even trash talking other techniques. So, you know, in the, when I wrote the book, I really wanted to focus on, you know, finding your gateway into meditation. And for each person that might be a little bit different. And um, so I focused on five different focal points because I had, you know, this experience of like, what is, what is the easiest entry point for you. So if you're a really visual person, visualization might just be your jam. If you um, are, you know, someone who loves music, then sound could be a really easeful way of, of getting into it. So my point being, I don't think that there is one type of meditation that suits everyone. And I'm sure there are lots of people that would disagree with me on that. But I think it's that dogma and that like my way or the highway, I don't see how that serves people. Um, because if you have a negative experience with one style of meditation and you throw the baby out with the bathwater, like who does that serve? Yeah, no one. No right. one. So, I, did, I, I did have that experience in my 20s. Uh, went and, and tried, I, I did this series of meditation classes uh, with this particular group, this particular style of meditation. And uh, they kept saying to us that we simply had to get ourselves up at 4.30 in the morning. We had to get up at 4.30 in the morning and do it at that point. And I'm like, I'm really sorry, but this is not going to work for me. Can I do it at 7? They're like, no, (laughs) no, it simply has to be done at 4.30 in the morning. And I was like, I'm out. 
I'm sorry. This is. Mm-hmm. This, I, I I know that that sounds amazing, and that's when your brain is in this state that's the closest to the state. You, you right. know, there was a, there was a science ambrosial hour. Yeah, yeah, like that's great. I, I see exactly where you're coming from, and 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 I, I think that's wonderful. But it's not going to happen. At that time, I was working in an industry where I was working nights, and like if I got up at four thirty in the morning, half the time I would have only have had two hours sleep. And I'm like, I'm sorry right. about. Right. Um, and yeah, I did. I kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater for a really long time, based on the fact that, I, well, I'm, I'm I'm not able to do this. Right. So I can't do it when they say I have to do it. Then I can't do it at all. Done. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's. I mean. I think that it's, yeah, it's, um, dogma in general is not my jam for that reason, you know, for, I, I think that it's, it's just, it's done is better than perfect. That's really yeah. my, that's my mantra with, with meditation. And, um, and what I mean by that, it's, you know, there's many layers to it, but on the one hand, if Jules can't get up at 4.30 AM. It's better for her to do a meditation at 7 AM than not do one at all. It's better for you to do one at bedtime, you know, or before you go to work at night or whatever it is, fit it, get it in where you can fit it in and that it makes sense for your life because you meditating is better than you not meditating. That's the bottom line. But then even if we apply the same sort of maxim of done is better than perfect, even to our practice itself, it's also really empowering because if I show up and go, um, well, my kids are really loud today or the neighbor's doing construction or blah, 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 or I'm waiting for this sort of like perfect time and the perfect circumstances as perfectionists often do. Mm-hmm. Um, or, <laughs> oh, I'm just so busy. I don't have time or my mind is really running wild today. Like I can come up with a whole list of reasons why the circumstances aren't quite right. But if I just go, yeah, done's better than perfect. I'm going to do it. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to push play or I'm going to set my timer and I'm going to do my 15 or 20 minutes or whatever it is, 10 minutes, five minutes, whatever you're doing. Um, you will, you will, the benefits show up if you do. That's, that's my, that's my rule is like, if I show up, um, and my meditation is shitty or I feel distracted or I feel like that was pointless, I throw it in the fire and think of it as an offering. You know, I just go, okay, well, that's really none of my business. I showed up, I sat, I did what I said I was going to do. And now I let it go. And that was, I think that's a key to, to my, my success in terms of the longevity of my practice is um, that I really subscribe to this idea. Like my teacher says that the measure of your meditation is the quality of your life. So if I show up and my meditation feels wonky, who cares? Because I'm a better mom. I'm a better writer. I'm a better teacher. I'm a better wife. I'm a better daughter. I'm more self-aware. Um, and the benefits that show up in my life off the cushion far outweigh any kind of you know transcendental or, or magical experience that I may or may not have on the cushion. Does that make sense? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, and, and it's, it's even, it's a bit like when, when clients say to me, oh, should I take this herb before food or after food? And I know you said to take it before food, but then I ate and then I remembered, and then I didn't want to take it. And I'm like, (laughs) so you can have it after food. It's fine. Yeah. 
that's yeah, fine. You have okay. not, you haven't failed. But yeah, it's 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 tricky when you've got those perfectionist tendencies, isn't it? Or you want to do things exactly the way that it is. It's prescribed for you. Um, talk to me about things like guided meditations for beginners. Is that cheating? God, no, no, <laughs> I don't think so at all. I think that it's funny. Like, there's so much shame in it. But um, here's my thought on guided meditations on is, I mean, I still love to listen to guided meditations. I can clearly I can meditate by myself on my own. I have a, you know, a, a job of practice that I do. Um, but I love listening to my teacher. I love having space held for me by my teacher. And um, I, there's a couple of points I want to make. One is um, for many of us, particularly women, um, I think we have serious decision fatigue. And there is such great relief in showing up somewhere and having someone tell you how many sit-ups to do or what herbs to take or leading you through a meditation or leading you through an asana practice or whatever, just taking something off of your plate and letting you surrender a little bit into an experience and having space held for us. Because as women, we are so often responsible for holding space for other people um, and, and making so many decisions. You know, so many of us who work, it's like we're making micro decisions all day. And then we come home and somebody asks us what's for dinner. So <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. And you're like, ask me that again. Um, and I think that I think that, you know, there's something really delicious and luxurious about showing up and having someone just go, let me hold this space for you. Um, mm, so there's creates that. bandwidth. <laughs> yeah, 100%. It's a, it's a rest, you know. Um, but then also I think that, you know, if you're listening to, for example, a guided meditation from a teacher that you love and respect and who you feel is mm, further down the path than you are, deeper in their experiences. I, my experience is that I'm tapping into when meditating in the presence, or even if it's a recorded presence of my teacher, I feel like I'm tapping into his bandwidth or his sort of depth of experience. Um, and that, again, that might sound a little bit esoteric or out there for people, but there's something to it, you know, that, um, if we think about meditation as sort of like a state that we are dipping into, if someone has like dipped into it more regularly for many more years than I have, and they've gone deeper, I'm just by like osmosis or, or whatever, I'm getting swept up into that channel with them. And I think that that can be kind of an advantage, especially as a beginner. Yeah, absolutely. It's like they've dug the well and you can just go down now and, and dip the bucket in the water. That's it. That's it. So, I mean, is there value in being able to independent, independently meditate? A hundred percent. Absolutely. And should I, you know, do I think that it's great for people to find a practice that they can sort of do standalone? Absolutely. But do I think that there should be any shame around listening to a guided meditation? No, this isn't a competition. Like this isn't like we have to take the whole, like, um, you know, I think so many people in, and sort of that are interested in wellness, like it can become a competitive sport and we can become perfectionistic about it. And it's like, that's not, that's not the point. And, it, and if we're approaching it like that, we're sort of missing the point. 
So, I mean, you look at like what's happened to, to yoga. Oh asana. my God, you took the words <laughs> right out of my mouth. It's like yeah. competitive. Yeah, see, like yeah. looking sideways to see if someone's doing crow pose better than you are. Right. Doing a handstand and I can't do a handstand. And, yes. Oh. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. And, um, and I think that, you know, that's really like can be toxic for, for many people because again, it feeds this idea of, I'm not good enough or that there's a prerequisite for showing up for a practice. You know, I mean, how many people do you know are like, oh, I'm going to go to yoga when my hamstrings are a little bit looser. Like I'm just going to stretch at home for a while. Um, or people who, and it's the same with meditation where it's like, oh, like when things settle down and I'm like, no, you need it now. Like you need it now when life is not settled down and you, you know, you need asana now when your hamstrings are tight and there's no, reason for you to delay showing up for this practice because there's no prerequisite and the goal just saying isn't to put your foot around your head like that's not the goal of yoga <laughs> so <laughs> um so i think that you know it's really it's i think it's helpful to remind ourselves of that regularly that this is not a competitive sport and this is an individual personal journey that we're on and the um you know the the sort of spectacle of things is not the point. Yeah. And if there's anyone in your Instagram feed who's putting their foot around their head and making you feel bad about something or taking photos and talking about how they meditated on a cliff top for half an hour and right. making you feel bad, just delete those people. Yeah. From your feed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing <laughs> wrong. Like, uh, like there's nothing wrong with putting your foot yeah, around I'm your head. Happy, like, I'm happy for you. It's I'm great, happy but for you. <laughs> but, but you're right. If it's triggering you, you know, I think it's good to do a little cleanse of your mm. Instagram of like, is it, is it triggering you? Um, why? Maybe mm. on why. And then if it's not serving you, you know, delete, 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 delete. Yeah. Absolutely. And then find the practice that works best for you, not the one that people tell you to, or not the one that's fashionable, just the one that works. Oh, totally. Yeah. I think, and I mean, there's certainly some meditation practices that are like very fashionable um, and very like a status symbol, you know? Mm. And, um, and I mean, I think like if that works for people, like to get you meditating, if it's sort of, if it is like, um, uh, peer pressure or this like keeping up with the Joneses like um, and it and it gets you meditating and it works for you fantastic but if it didn't work for you there's other options and don't be discouraged yeah and if you happen to be doing the one that's fashionable currently and it works for you that's awesome because sometimes things are fashionable because they're good Cause they work yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. ice baths are fashionable saunas yeah. are fashionable yeah they're, yeah. they're awesome <laughs> yeah but yeah, there's there's definitely there's definitely more than one option out Absolutely. there. Absolutely, so many options. Um, I also wanted to ask you uh, about being a mum, yeah. because I don't have kids and you do, and you're still managing to carve out time and space and stillness. So, have you got any tips for anyone out there who's got children, mums and dads? Uh, because I know this is a massive hurdle for some people and, and a real reason for why people don't even get started. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, 
Well, I would, I definitely have some practical sort of suggestions, but before I go there, I would like to just point out, you know, that again, why your why is such a powerful place to start. And for me as a mother, um, you know, I want to show up as my best self for my kids and meditation helps me do that. So it helps me um, be more present, more patient, more playful, you know, all of these qualities that I really value as a parent and that I want to embody for my children. Meditation helps me do those things better. So there's a, there's a huge motivation there. And then there's also another why, which is I want to, give them the practices that I wish I had had as a young person and that it took me, you know, 20 years to figure out in terms of managing their own state and carving out time for stillness and seeing the value in that. So I see it as um, a role modeling for my kids as well, for them to see me meditating and to see that that's a part of my daily practice and a part of our family rhythm is, you know, mama sits in stillness, mama is quiet, and mama takes care of herself. And she values her own self care. And I think, particularly for, you know, girls, it's really, it's really important. It's really important to model self care for them. And in order to sort of break the cycle that so many of us have been caught up in, in terms of not having boundaries and not being able to care for ourselves or driving ourselves to exhaustion, you know, people pleasing, perfectionism, all of those things. I think the antidote to so many of those things is self-care. So for me that um, embodying that for them, and then, you know, also giving them access to the tools when they're ready and interested, you know, my seven-year-old is He's keen, like he likes, you know, he likes to join me and, um, and they all kind of know the rules. So I'll use that as sort of like a segue into like the practical thing, which is just, you know, if your kids are of a certain age, you can sort of invite them into your practice and go, this is the deal. When I'm sitting here in this place and I'm meditating and I'm in this posture, give them whatever cues, you know, this is, this is how it looks when I'm meditating you are welcome to join me. You're welcome to sit here with me, but you need to respect the practice. And that means, you know, not climbing into my lap, not pulling on my, you know, ears, not talking to me. um, And, and just being here and being still and quiet with me, you're always welcome to join me. So I have a total open door policy with them. But they also know that, um, you know, it's sacred, and that they should not sort of puncture that little bubble. Um, And then I think also, you know, just in terms of an approach done is better than perfect is really helpful because I I also have, you know, my youngest, I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. So the three-year-old, she's still getting her head around this whole idea, right? So she still does come in and like whisper in my ear about pancakes or, you know, (laughs) things. That's so cute. Things like that. And so um, I just take that as part of the practice, right? And so background noise, distraction, um, that's inevitable. But rather than using it as an excuse not to meditate it, just invite it into your practice, right? So I often say that like my children are no more distracting than my own thoughts. And rather than sort of like kind of 
latching on to that they're they're you know singing or they're talking or they're whatever is happening in the house around me um i just sort of let it let it go just like i'm training myself to let my thoughts go or let the feelings move sort of through this soundscape of of my experience um so it it just i think it's again it kind of comes down to that like done is done is better than perfect but um the other thing that's really helpful is if you have a parenting partner, ask for help. So I'm um, very lucky to have, you know, a parenting partner, my husband, and he, he's just, it's just, I have meditated for so long now that everybody in the family just knows like mom's meditating and he's really helpful at, um, you know, just respecting that and helping create that container for me where he will, you know, hang out with the kids while I'm doing that. So Generally, I like to try and get up before they do to do it, mm. um, but that's that doesn't always happen. And so sometimes it's like I'm getting up and getting breakfast started, and then I, you know, dip out and um, and my husband takes over. So done is better than perfect. That's the bottom line, really. Yeah, you're like meditation for the real world. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Well, because it's. Um, that and I think that's like I said about you know sort of tantric meditation too is just like it is for it is for the real world like it's not just for people who are living in some kind of pristine spiritual environment like I think that we need it more than they do. <laughs> yeah, and I was thinking that when you were saying all of that, I thought, okay, well, yeah, there, there's the on, on one hand we've got the meditation where you're alone in a cave in the Himalayas, and then right. on the other hand you've got the meditation for householders, and yeah. of course every household would have children running around, wouldn't it? Yes, like, yeah, and, exactly. And whole family groups living together, and a lot of the the countries and cultures where some yeah. of these meditation practices come from come from place where people were living quite closely together in in large family groups so of course this can be done absolutely yeah absolutely and I think that um you know our lives are fluid right we're always moving through different phases of our lives and you know that's it's sort of a heightened experience of of um, moving through different phases when you have young kids, I think, because, you know, it's a really steep kind of learning curve with like, Oh, I've, I've got a, you know, one month old and I've kind of figured out their rhythm and then they're not one month old anymore. And they're six weeks and they're, you know, like it's just this mm. constant kind of changing landscape. And, um, and so I think to have this sort of generosity for yourself of, um, of letting, you know, letting that be your maxim of like done is better than perfect. And so if you have a newborn, it's unreasonable to expect yourself to meditate twice a day for 20 minutes. Yes. Could you benefit from it? I'm sure. But if that's just not going to happen and you're going to beat yourself up about it, take 10 breaths, you know, like close your eyes and take 10 breaths while you're breastfeeding that baby or whatever, like fit it in and and have some kind of practice um and it means that sometimes you need to pare it down you know my morning sit has become like a little bit elaborate in terms of like i have certain mantras that i chant and invocations and la 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 but when i'm like really sick for example i don't stop meditating i just simplify you know i just show up in the most sort of simple way that i can while maintaining my practice so i think we also yeah need to be sort of generous and kind with ourselves about i i always like to say you know i'm flexible but devoted 
And I think that's really uh, helpful for me in terms of maintaining the practice for, you know, almost 10 years now. Yeah. Talk to me about the pace of the, of our lives at the moment and the upheaval that's been happening in the last 12 months. And you were on, you were on the coalface of that for a lot of 2020 as well, because you, you own, you know, you own businesses in Byron Bay that are hospitality businesses, which were subject to lockdown and subject to COVID restrictions and still having to be creative about how you operate and, and things can change at the drop of a hat. I think with, with all of this stuff that's going on at the moment in the world, we're going to be more stressed and more on the edge of our seat and, and there's still more upheaval to come, obviously. How how can having a meditation practice help with that? How did it help you last year? Oh, it's a great question. Um, I think so one thing I like to teach people when they're new to meditation or even if they're sort of rediscovering their practice is this idea of the sky-like mind. So there's this great quote from Pema Chodron, who's a, um, a Buddhist nun. And she says, you are the sky, everything else is just the weather. And so in meditation, you know, we're practicing bringing our attention back to the focal point, but in some you know, in some meditations, we literally practice this idea of returning to a sense of spaciousness, um, being being a being the space, rather than identifying with our thoughts or the feelings that are moving through. So, if, if you could imagine that you are the sky, you are this vast blue sky, and your thoughts are clouds that sort of move through the landscape of your experience. It's a very simple but transformative way to view your thoughts. And we can also apply that to our experiences in life, right? Our circumstances. And I think that um, resting in that sense of being sky-like is very useful um, in terms of navigating circumstances that are challenging. And I think, you know, that that perspective on life has served me really well. That practice, the, the practice of meditation is also, you know, it's a practice in that we're, it's never a performance and we're always just showing up and practicing it, but it's also a practice for life. Um, and it's very practical in that way. So the way that I would have engaged with the circumstances of the last year 10 years ago with the skills that I had then it would have been completely different. I would have been a hot mess. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think because of that perspective and then also, you know, the, um, effects on the nervous system, which I'll touch on next, but you know, it's, I recognize that that it was circumstantial. Was it, was it stressful? Was it challenging? Was it frightening? Of course, but I also wasn't, reacting to it. Um, I was responding to it with more, probably more wisdom and perspective than I could have, you know, if I wasn't a regular meditator. So there's that. Um, but then also just my nervous system, um, you know, meditation affects and, and breathing in a specific way affects our nervous system. So we're not 
you know, in so much, so much of our modern lives we spend in fight or flight. So even if you took the pandemic away and just looked at like modern life in general, we are inundated with, you know, quote unquote threats all day long. And they come in the form of notifications from Instagram and feeling triggered by people on Instagram or a news feed on Facebook or an inbox overflowing or watching the news, you know, we're constantly bombarded with inputs. And we interpret those in the same way that we would if like a saber toothed tiger was chasing us. I um, mean, you can feel that in your body, that sense of, um, you know, your heart racing, feeling like kind of amped up. Um, and I think for many of us, that becomes our norm. And so we're just in this constant state of fight or flight. And I think for me, I definitely spent most of my time in fight or flight um, when I was chronically ill. So by having a, a part of our day where we're reconnecting with a sense of stillness and we are actively shifting out of the fight or flight and into rest, de- rest digest, repair, reproduce into that you know, parasympathetic uh, side of the nervous system it's incredibly powerful because it has an effect on our body and those, those functions of digestion and healing and reproduction, all of those things happen optimally when we're, when we're, you know, being dominated by the parasympathetic. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of um, being a bit long winded in my response, but you know, I think that whether there was a, pandemic or not, so many of us are already just living in, um, in a, in a modern, the modern life of like being triggered constantly and having our nervous systems just like being plucked 24 mm. seven. So I think that, um, if you come from that and you don't have a solid foundation or you don't have sort of this like padding of practices that are down regulating your nervous system regularly, then this last year was going to be like even more triggering for you than, than, you know, it already would be for someone who has maybe like a foundation of those practices. So um, it's, yeah, like I, I, and I say that because it's not just like a philosophical, oh, like this too shall pass. It's also, <laughs> you know, it's also like physically I can handle it because I know how to shift myself out of fear in my body. I know how to move fear from my body by sort of down-regulating my nervous system through my breath and through meditation. So I think, you know, those practices are incredibly important. And like, like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't like this was just a a dreamy year where I was swanning through things. But um, I think when you have those practices and then you go through challenging experiences, you also witness your own resilience and you build a confidence in yourself, in your ability to weather the storms of life. Um, and that gives you, that sort of fortifies you, right? Like I had just come off the back of a really challenging year where I had lost my brother um, really suddenly and, um, and then went straight into the, you know, sort of into the pandemic. So I think that I marveled at myself and I took a moment to kind of go, wow, like you have been stable through this. You have navigated this with grace, despite how incredibly challenging it was. And that gave me the confidence to go, I can, I can get through this. I can, I can get through this. I don't know what's going to happen, but I can get through it. Yeah. And you're right. Like pandemic or no pandemic, 
there's still going to be things that life is throwing at us on a daily basis, big things and little things. Yeah. Our inboxes aren't going to stop blowing up. Facebook's not going to stop showing us things that are stressful. Like that's that's been our life before the pandemic. That will be right. our lives after the pandemic. Right. And that, that I do I do love that word resilience. I think it's going to feature more and more as we talk about people's physical men- and mental health through this all this COVID stuff because like physical resilience is going to be so important in terms of keeping everyone healthy out there but like mental emotional resilience is key to everything yeah it really is and I think when we even like if you close your eyes and think about like if resilience was like a movement what would it look like um and for me it looks like this ability to rebound and an ability to like reclaim a sense of buoyancy and to bounce back. And it also looks like falling down and getting back up again. And it also looks like laying down and resting or sitting down and being still and quiet and then getting back up again. And it's about sort of embracing the rhythm of like, that's just life. Like we are going to expand and contract and get knocked down and get up and rest and then go out and produce in the world and, and, you know, be active Um, And if we expect ourselves to be constantly like, you know, moving forward, pushing forward, producing, being active without the time to sort of rest and rejuvenate ourselves, then we're missing half of the puzzle. We're missing half of the sort of action of resilience. Yeah. And type A's, we promise, we really sincerely promise you, you won't miss anything. There's there's no FOMO in slowing down just for that (laughs) moment. We promise. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, we'll, we'll put everything on hold for you while you That's meditate. right. That's right. But you know what? That's the thing I think um, that can be so surprising about integrating these practices into your life is, um, you know, you can do just as much in probably half the time. Um, you know, people are always like, how do you get it? Like, how do you do so much? And I'm like, look, I don't recommend doing as much as I do. Like it's, it's too much, but at the same time, I can do it because I um, have these periods of, you know, deep rest that I'm building into my life because I know that I like ticking boxes. So what I do is I give myself box like self-care boxes to tick. So if you if you know that you're a perfectionist, like leverage that, leverage your your love of box ticking and put you know these self-care practices, whether it's you know meditation or movement or um, whatever it is, put them on your list and give them space in your life. Yeah. I love that. Took my herbs today. Tick. Yeah. Okay. Did some exercise. Tick. Yeah. Journaling. Tick. Meditation. Tick. What do I win? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Fully. I mean, and that's, you know, some people aren't motivated by that, but plenty of us are. And you know, particularly people who like a sense of sort of routine and structure and, and box ticking, um, leverage that, like know yourself, know what motivates you and what helps you stay on track and leverage that. And I think, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with having little containers in your life where you're scheduling that in. And in fact, I think it's incredibly wise because if you don't put that boundary in place and you don't create that container in your life, it's not, you know, self-care doesn't just like spontaneously happen. You're not like, I'm just going to lay down. What happens is you get sick, Mm. right? So Mm -hmm. you like, you hit the wall. So you have two choices there. You can either build it in or it will come for you. 
<laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> it's coming for you. It will come for you. Trust me. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Um, I think that's a, a, a good a spot as any to wrap up on as, as much as I would love to chat with you all day. Uh, Caitlin, you are super wise and amazing and I love your book. Uh, can you please let people know out there how they can connect with you and where they can uh, find your book as well? Oh, thank you. That's so kind. Um, so you can connect with me on caitlincady.com and there's links there to sort of everything you need to know. Um, there's a free morning ritual you can download. So if you're keen to kind of carve out some time for self-care in the morning, um, you can download that for free. Um, and you can also check out the book, Heavily Meditated, and the app, which is called Heavily Meditated as well. Um, and you can download that for free. And there's about 10 different guided meditations you can use for free or you can upgrade to access the full library and the tracker feature which which as a as a fellow box ticker (laughs) I I knew would be really highly uh popular with a lot of people so and also you can find me on Instagram awesome all right I just want to share a blurb from your website about your book where you say it heavily meditated is for you if you want to learn the basics of how to meditate without dying of boredom (laughs) Uh, so dear listener if that sounds like you you know what to do i'll pop all the links in the show notes um it really i i can't endorse this book highly enough i i i bought a copy and then i gave it away it was it was so good i i had to give it to a client of mine so there you go uh caitlin thank you so much for coming on the show today i really appreciate uh and value your time thank you thank you for having me jules it's been a delight I hope you enjoyed listening to Straight Talking Natural Health. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, head over to my website at julesgalloway.com. There's a free quiz on there to see if you are at risk of burnout. I also have an amazing ebook called Heal Your Adrenals, which is a must for any woman with adrenal dysfunction, aka adrenal fatigue. When I'm not podcasting, I'm seeing clients all over the world via Zoom. I love working with fatigue, thyroid issues, autoimmunity, chiral disorder, mold illness and complex cases to name just a few. So why not book in and let's work together. All of this and more is available right now over at julesgalloway.com. That's all from me for the time being. I look forward to diving in with you again in the next episode. Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.